The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. From the legacy of Mikhail Gorbachev to a new important book about homosexuality and Christianity, we've got you covered today. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Line of Fire. Today's going to be an eye-opening broadcast. At the bottom of the hour, I'll be joined by M.D. Perkins to talk about his new book on dangerous affirmation about the threat of, quote, gay Christianity. But we're going to start today talking about Mikhail Gorbachev, who passed away yesterday at the age of 91. I want to reflect on some things that I think will be important for our perspective today. Michael Brown, welcome to the broadcast. I've got a question for you before we get to the heart of things. How many of you are old enough to remember when there was speculation that Gorbachev was the Antichrist? How many remember that? I I tweeted about that. I'm going to share some of the responses that I got uh, from that. I tweeted about that last night. Quite a few people said, oh, yeah, I do remember. How many of you remember? If you remember that, what did you hear? What were you thinking? What was going around? 866-34-TRUTH. Give me a call. 866-348-7884. Okay. Gorbachev was a younger leader, came to power after the old guard of the Communist Party and the leaders of the Soviet Union had seemed to fail Uh, Almost in their old age and weakness, they seemed to be a picture of of a failing failing regime. Gorbachev came in as kind of a whiz kid. And just in his 40s, this was so young for a leader of that stature. And he saw that the West was getting ahead in different ways and that change needed to come. So he was the last leader of the Soviet Union as we knew it for many years. And this signals some of the end of the Cold War. So he he tried to advocate what was called perestroika reform and glasnost openness, although he was still a strong communist leader. And there was not a whole lot of freedom of speech allowed in the country. Don't mistake it for America or other countries. But he did bring about some dramatic changes. And, and then the big thing is it was under his leadership that the Berlin Wall came down. And, and this, this is what I want to talk to you about. There, there are many good things Gorbachev did. There are things that he didn't do. All right. He still, again, was a communist leader, but there were some major, major breakthroughs. And that was the end of the Cold War then. And then, of course, the dissolution of the Soviet Empire. It could well be that Vladimir Putin wants to reconstitute the Soviet Empire, the Soviet Union. But this was the dissolution of it uh, in, in his day as one republic after another broke away. And they remain, almost all of them, broken away to this day. But it started with the Berlin Wall. So after World War II, uh, as you know, uh, sometime after World War II, a wall is erected to separate East Berlin from West Berlin, divides families, divides communities. And East Berlin was part of East Germany, which was one of the most oppressive 
communist regimes on the planet. I remember seeing East Germany win dramatically, disproportionately. They would win all these gold medals in the Olympics. And, and we were told, well, from, from early on, they look for kids that could be good athletes. And then they, they begin to train them. And, well, that was part of it. They had a very rigorous program, but there was also a lot of uh, performance-enhancing drugs and those kind of things brought further scandals. But a very closed, oppressive system. Still a lot of atheism in that part of Germany, disproportionately so as a legacy uh, to the years of communism. But in his most famous speech, Ronald Reagan stands in front of the Berlin Wall and says these memorable words. Some of you remember hearing them. For others, you may know the story, but maybe you never heard the words. Let's listen to President Reagan. Behind me stands a wall that encircles the free sectors of this city, part of a vast system of barriers that divides the entire continent of Europe. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. So what happened? Well, an announcement was incorrectly made that the wall was coming down and people swarmed the wall, begin to tear it down. Well, what would have been done in the past if there was any such attempt? Shoot the people on the spot, send out the tanks, put it down. What happened? Gorbachev let it come down. Whatever his motivation was in not stepping in and not interfering and not using violence, this would have been done in the past. The wall came down a historic moment in the 20th century, a turning point. And then in the aftermath of that, as freedom and liberation came, now you've got a unified Germany, or little by little, it's going to work towards reunification. Uh, now, now you've got other, other parts of the Soviet bloc breaking away, and that was the end of the Soviet Union. So that was the beginning of the end, the wall coming down. So th the first thing that I want to communicate to you is this, that dramatic change can happen suddenly and out of the blue with, with massive uh, repercussions. The ripple effect can be massive. I, I just want to put this before you. I, I am not a historian in terms of history of the modern world. I am anything but an expert on Russia or the Soviet Union. So I know a little, I know some, many of you know the same, many of you know more. So I'm not weighing in to say, let me reflect as a historian of modern Russian history, an expert in modern Russian history, let me reflect on the contributions of Mikhail Gorbachev, his strengths and his weaknesses. I'm not the one to do that. Uh, others will do it a thousand times better than me. But what I can do as a spiritual leader, as, as someone functioning, as, as your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity, as, as someone seeking to get a spiritual lesson from natural things, seeking to reflect, you never really know what will, will, will be the straw that breaks the camel's back 
what will be the crack in the dam that takes the whole dam down, what will open up a flood of radical and dramatic change. Here, think of this in America. We were having growing racial tension in America. There there was the, the shooting of my namesake, Michael Brown, in Ferguson, Missouri, that, that triggered a lot of uh, riots and, and, and unrest across America. But it was only with the killing of George Floyd uh, by a policeman that things were suddenly triggered, not just in America, but around the world, and the rebirthing of BLM and things like that. I, I'm not commenting on all of those events. I, I'm not making a statement about any of this. I'm simply saying one event triggered a whole lot. And America looks and feels different afterwards, for better or for worse. That's just what happens. So this is the way history often unfolds, that something happens suddenly out of the blue or seemingly suddenly out of the blue. But it's often something rising, 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 rising. And then it becomes a turning point. I I watched another documentary on Woodstock. It was produced after 50 years and reflecting back on things, and, and maybe the biggest takeaway from this major event in August of 1969 involving over 400,000 people in upstate New York, the, the biggest takeaway in watching it, something I knew already but was reminded of, that, that this was the validation of the hippie dream. This was the proof that hundreds of thousands of people could come together, and it was, it was peace and it was love. And there was no violence and there was no hatred. And, and you know, there's kind of utopia and we can create a better world. Of, of course, it was drug fueled. Of course, it was artificial. And of course, it was not going to last long term. And then you mix the immorality in that took place in, in the midst of it. But there was an ideal. There was something that people were looking for and hoping for. And, and that moment which shocked everyone with the size of the crowds and was completely beyond what the organizers were expecting and what they were ready for, that, that people coming together, we can make a better world. There was something that came out of it. And then over time, realizing, okay, it's, there are a lot of ideals here, but they're not all based on truth. They're not all based on, on, on righteousness. They're not based on relationship with God. And the ideal is going to fall short. But the, are, there are these things that happen. You know, a, a, a protest and somebody gets killed and next thing consciousness rises across the country or a cause is found. So the map of the world changed dramatically. And when Gorbachev was calling for perestroika and glasnost, words that became known in the West, when he was calling for these things and seemed to genuinely recognize that unless change came within the Soviet Union, that they would be way behind America in particular and the West in general. And if they were behind in a military sense and other things, economic sense, then their power base was gone. So whether he really had a heart for these things, was just being pragmatic, combination of both, either way, I don't think that he foresaw where things were going to go. I don't know if he foresaw. Maybe he's in autobiography or other biographies. This is recounted. I just don't know it. I don't know that he saw that if this happens, if the wall comes down, it will lead to this and this and this and this and the end of the Soviet Union as we know it. Bottom line is, dramatic change can come in a moment. Often, 
There's something happening on the grassroots level building for years, 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 years. It's been happening in America with prayer, with believers crying out. Well, not as much as I'd like to see, but it's been happening. You never know when one thing will, will spark a change that will come, what will spark a movement, will spark a historic event, and we look back before this time and after this time. May it be for righteousness. May it be for revival. May it be for recovering of lost moral and spiritual ground in America. May it be something that turns the tide for the next generation. Hey, why not? Why not? All right. If you have any reflections on hearing that Gorbachev was the Antichrist, give me a call. Do you remember it? Why? What did you hear? 866-348-7884. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to the Line of Fire broadcast. You know, there are some songs written and sung that were people point back to as turning points. Once something got out in the air, once people began singing it, once people began hearing the message that, that, that the cat was out of the bag, so to say, And people couldn't go back to where they were before. 866-34-TRUTH. Again, bottom of the hour, we're going to switch subjects. But I I want to revisit this idea that was in the air. Oh, and especially as Gorbachev had risen to power quickly and was such an influential leader and was was talking about major reforms in in his country and in the Soviet Union, the USSR. And and, could he be the world leader? Could it be? Was he the Antichrist? <clears throat> so here I, I tweeted this out last night, and I said, uh, how many of you are old enough to remember when some Christians were claiming that Gorbachev was the Antichrist because of the mark on his forehead? I kid you not. All right? I, some of you are nodding. He's like, yeah, I, I was there. I remember. So here are some of the, the responses that I got from folks. Are, are you ready? Now, I'm, I'm talking about this, not just to look back in history, but for a practical reason for today, which I'll, I'll get to the punchline in a minute. All right. Uh, VBC Apologetics tweeted, and Ronald Wilson Reagan had six letters in each name. Remember that one? I do remember it. Now, I only heard it from one person. I was uh, I had a sales job when I was in grad school with my master's and PhD. I had a sales job, and I sold baby pictures. Oh, yeah, that was one of the high points of my career, selling baby pictures. So I'd see, I don't know, 8, 10 different customers a day and show them, hey, here's pictures that were taken in your home of your baby. Would you like to purchase any of these? Or we can make plaques and do all this stuff. I made a living. Well, I made a living doing that and then going like one afternoon a week and uh, in, in evening going into the city for, for grad school. Anyway, I was in the home of, of one family and the, the mother is talking to me and she's a Christian woman. So I found out believer, we're talking as believers and she said, oh, did you notice Ronald Wilson Reagan? There's six letters in each name, six, six, six. So, I mean, I just smiled and 
didn't want to say that's one of the most stupid things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> on, what on what basis was Reagan the Antichrist? Please. But the, the name in 666? Oh, boy. Okay. How about Gorbachev? Uh, Tyson posted this. Yes, about him being the Antichrist. Supposedly, because his birthmark was shaped like a dragon. <sighs> I also remember people saying Soviet attack helicopters were the lion-headed, stinging locusts from the book of Revelation. People see what they want, I guess. Um, Bo tweeted this. Yes, I had a bus driver in high school who believed that. There was a book written about it. It's actually in my library. But I didn't believe he was, even though I was backslidden during that time and not very spiritual most things. So still, you got someone backslidden away from the Lord. And what's, what's he saying? That's not true. Uh, Tom, I remember seeing a book in the Christian bookstore explaining how Gorbachev was the Antichrist. Uh, Ivan, I do recall. Heaven is calling. Well, I'm old enough to remember when a comedian back in the, oh, okay, a comedian back in the 80s called Scott Bailo the Antichrist. Uh, SK, when he started, started in that Pizza Hut ad that marked the midpoint of the tribulation. Yeah, some folks weighing in here. Um, absolutely. Mark said, my mom had the Gorbachev as the Antichrist book. Um, R. Gomez, I remember and also remember that the idea was ridiculous. Here's someone else uh, about uh, Reagan remembering that. Uh, to be fair, Gorbachev did clap for Rocky's speech at the end of Rocky IV, so as a kid, I didn't think he was such a bad guy. Faith, I'm old enough to remember when a major Pentecostal denomination thought Kissinger might be the future Antichrist because of his worldwide influence and because they believed that the Antichrist would have to be a Jew because the Jews would think he was the Messiah. I'm old enough to remember, Dunbat says, and the whole 88 reasons why the rapture will happen in 88 debacle. And on and on it goes. Okay, Phil, he had the birthmark on the forehead. Of course, some thought that was the mark of the beast. Now, looking back at it, how does it make you feel? Looking back at it, how stupid does it make us look? How gullible? How lacking in discernment? How unbiblical in terms of just believing stuff. Look, I remember more recently, Obama is the Antichrist. No, Trump is the Antichrist. No, Biden is the Antichrist. You think at a certain point, okay, how about, how about we put a stop to this? COVID is the mark of the beast. The vaccine is the mark of the beast. And COVID is a plague from the book of Revelation. Take a deep breath, everybody. We can do better than this. We can do better. And we need to be sober-minded. First, the spirit of the Antichrist has been in the world for two millennia. The spirit opposing Jesus as Messiah. The spirit that denies him. The spirit that fights against the advance of the gospel worldwide. That spirit has been here. And that's our real enemy. That's, that's the real issue we're dealing with. Demonic powers fighting against us so that the gospel is not proclaimed and the kingdom of God is not advanced. First John 2, John says, you've heard that Antichrist is coming. He doesn't deny that there will be a future Antichrist figure. 
He said, but already many antichrists are here. So that's the present battle we're facing. And personally, as one who does believe that there will be an antichrist figure at the end of the age, that we will be here during a tribulation period and we'll see him, as Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2 quite explicitly, that our gathering to be with the Lord, which in 1 Thessalonians 4, speaking of being caught up to meet him as he returns to the earth, we, we come to meet him and, and then descend together with him. Paul says that that day will not come, 2 Thessalonians 2, until the rebellion occurs and the man of sin is revealed. So this Antichrist figure who will set himself up as God in the temple of God must be revealed first. So we who are in the final generation, whenever that is, we will be here to see him. But it's not going to be a matter of, well, I wonder if he could be. Ten years later, oh, man, does he have that birth, the birthmark? It looks more like a dragon now than I've ever seen. Oh, he's got six initial, six letters in each name and six, six, six. It's not going to be that because you are going to have someone who ultimately takes over the world. You are going to have someone whom the world worships as God on some level. You are going to have someone who imposes his will on the planet. And unless you swear allegiance to him and even give worship and honor to him, as would have happened, say, in ancient Rome with Caesar, you're required to do that, then you will be ostracized, you will be put out, you will be persecuted, many will even be killed. So there's not going to be ambiguity. Do you think that you think it might possibly be? I mean, they said Obama was the chosen one. The, they made him like a savior, and some said only Trump can save the nation. They made him like a savior. And could these men be the Antichrist? Well, they're alive, so potentially they could be. The leader of China, President Xi, could, he could be potentially, or someone we never heard of, or it could be a, a Muslim leader. It could be a Jewish false messiah. We don't, we don't know for sure. Here, watch this. Nobody knows for sure except God. Nobody on the planet knows for sure. So why the speculation? Why trying to figure out and point at this one, point at that one? Why not get on with the focus on glorifying Jesus, on combating the evil that is around us every day, on helping those in need? Oh, I'm not saying that those speculating that Gorbachev was the Antichrist or Reagan was the Antichrist or whoever was the Antichrist, that they weren't preaching the gospel. Many of them were. I'm not saying they weren't helping the needy. Many of them were. I'm not saying they weren't praying. Many of them were. But let's leave aside these silly things and concentrate on what matters. And the other things are absolutely arbitrary. You know, look, you're going out to your favorite restaurant. Did you ever, ever have a discussion when we're, we're there and we walk in and, and we're greeted at the door and someone's going to seat us, did you ever have a discussion before you got there what they'll be wearing? Did, will it be a man or a woman? Well, did, no. Who, is it? Who thinks of that? You're going to the restaurant. Those other things are immaterial. Speculating, speculating about the identity of the Antichrist, it's just, it's immature. We've got work to do. There's a table set for us with assignments from heaven, 
and, and a commission that we're called to. That's what we need to give ourselves to. And as things become more clear, and if we are here in the final generation to see the Antichrist and then therefore to see the Lord's return, if that's the case, you won't need to speculate. It will be abundantly, overwhelmingly clear. We can resist submitting to a one-world regime today in theory and practice, but the day will come when it will really be there with a real leader, and we won't have to speculate about a birthmark. Just tell it like it is. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. So glad to be with you here today. Delighted to be joined by M.D. Perkins from the American Family Association and American Family Studios. I had the joy of working with him on the award-winning documentary, In His Image, if you still haven't seen it, go to inhisimage.movie. It's eye-opening. It's life-changing. God's used it to touch hundreds of thousands of people. Inhisimage.movie. Uh, MD is the author of a brand new book, Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity. And as soon as I heard the book was out, I said, okay, we, we've got to get MD on the air. Hey, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you, Dr. Brown. Good to be with you. All right, so what is it that moved you to take the time to put this book together and to publish it? Well, the, uh, as you mentioned with the documentary, you know, we started, uh, we started doing research onto this whole subject of gay Christianity. Of course, there's so many pieces connected to that and a lot of, a lot of uh, details that we wanted Christians to understand. So as I started to um, dig into this whole topic and explore it, it, it became clear that this was really more than what we could deal with in the documentary. You know, there's a little section in the documentary that deals with it, but really we needed to go far beyond that and to dig into this whole subject. And uh, so I didn't set out to write a book, but that's just kind of how, how the Lord kind of led me through that process. And as I shared that with AFA leadership, they felt compelled to, to put this out as, uh, as one of our resources here at AFA. Now, some folks may be living in a world where they don't get it, and they think, what do you mean at the threat of, quote, gay Christianity? Everybody knows there's no such thing as gay Christianity. What would you say to that? Yeah, well, gay Christianity, the way that I'm using that term is basically to describe this overall movement to reconcile the LGBTQ plus movement with the Christian faith. And there's a number of ways that that can happen. Through, uh, through rethinking theology, rethinking biblical interpretation, rethinking the church and the role that the, the church should function in, a, in, a, in the life of, of a society, as well as you know, public worship and things like that, rethinking identity, and then ad additionally this push to create activists and allies for the LGBT movement within the Christian church. And so when you start to think in terms of that reconciling idea, you know, of taking two things that don't go together, that are really at odds, and to find a way to make them compatible somehow, 
I mean, that's what the gay Christian movement is all about, is to try and find some, some way of saying, well, you know, I, people have this, uh, this desire and this, this innate urge uh, toward, toward homosexuality, and then uh, they also want to identify as a Christian. Well, what's wrong with that? And so then they begin to try and find some way to, uh, to uh, reconcile those two competing ideologies and, and ideas. And so that's the whole way that we, we're, I'm talking about uh, gay Christianity in the book, you know, is to, to describe this overall movement that has infiltrated the Church, that's having an influence on the ways that people, uh, the ways that Christians think and talk about these issues, and the way that even they reach out in their pastoral care and things like that. So that's uh, it, it does sound a little confrontational, you know, the threat of gay Christianity, but at the end of the day, we are talking about spiritual warfare here. Yep. So when we're talking about sexuality issues and making, making sexual sin seem, you know, innocuous or not a problem or not a sin at all, then uh, you are locking people in bondage. You are opening them up to demonic attack. You're giving them access to uh, to, to really be assaulted by uh, by all these things. And it's just it, it's it's very sad, you know, for the souls involved. And it's not it's not something that we should um, treat very lightly as Christians. We should take these things very seriously. Yeah, and this is a genuine threat. There is massive deception, massive confusion. You know, MD, you'd be familiar with all this, but to remind our, our listening audience, when George Gallup did a poll in 2021, he he was going back over the decades, asking certain questions about how people identified and views on same-sex quote marriage and things like that. So my generation, the baby boomers, uh, 2.8% of my generation identified as somewhere in the LGBTQ plus spectrum. When it yeah. came to Gen Z and kids he had interviewed, young people 18 to 23, it, it was 21% identified as such. A similar poll done by George Barner, the famous Christian pollster in 2021, yeah. came to 40%. So some people may think, well, who's everybody knows you can't be homosexual and follow Jesus at the same time as in the Bible. Leviticus says so. And point of fact... There, there's a whole generation growing up with massive confusion over this. A am I overstating things? No, you're not overstating things at all. In fact, you know, it, that's, that's the way that these things have happened. You know, as you start to normalize certain aspects of this in society, then you begin to find all kinds of justifications at different points, and then people grow up uh, at, at points past where the debates had happened at, at, uh, at certain points in time. You know, and so we've seen this. I mean, I, I document this at, to some degree in the book, you know, where I'm talking about kind of the history of how we even get this whole concept of sexual orientation and how it began initially just as a way to move away from uh, a way of dismantling the sodomy laws that existed in, in uh, Prussia at the time so that you could internalize homosexuality, move it away from a behavior more to an internalized feeling or, or sensibility. And then as you started to do that, then, um, you know, society started to think differently about it, then medical uh, groups started to think differently about it, psychology gets involved, and then, you know, you're kind of off to the races once, uh, once the legal sphere and the civic arena starts to then redefine these things. You know, that's what we're dealing with with the whole Equality Act thing, is to basically essentialize sexual orientation and gender identity as a civil rights issue. So, like, you know, children who have, who have born up post-Obergefell or are going to grow up, you know, post-Equality uh, Act, 
you know, are going to be highly confused about these things because it's just the air they breathe, the water they swim in, you know, it's, it's just, it's just the natural course of things. So there's a lot of, of, you know, the way that society treats these things does have an impact in the church and Christians can think that they're just in, you know, sometimes they're kind of sequestered off or maybe they won't be influenced in the same ways, but, you know, you are influenced by the culture you're a part of. And so it's, it's, relevant for us as Christians to be mindful of those ways that we're influenced. Yeah, and again, sometimes we can be in our own little bubble, which can be positive in that we're encouraging one another and, mm-hmm. and, and reinforcing things and raising our kids a certain way, but many times it does not give us a realistic understanding of what's happening in the world around us or even what's happening in our kids' schools, in their lives, on social media. One colleague was telling me, well, we're working to try to get kids interested in the Bible again, they're, they're discussing which preferred gendered pronoun to use today. You know, it's right. just a, a very different world in, in which they're living. Uh, friends, I wrote a book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? What, what MD has done here is really tackle things from, from a very different and important angle and lay things out really well. If you like that book, you'll definitely want this. And those who don't have this book, this is, this is a great place to start. Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of gay Christianity, again, the author M.D. Perkins. So just holding, holding the book here uh, in, in my hands, I, I immediately wrote an endorsement when I was asked to, quite, quite gladly looked at it, was very happy to do it. But you had a very nice personal note to me at the front, uh, talking about my compassion in, in dealing with these issues, because it's not just issues, it's, it's people. So yeah. the, the further you get into this, you find a lot of sincere people and a lot of devoted couples and even devoted parents, and they, they're convinced that they can be in a gay relationship and follow Jesus at the same time, and they read the same Bible you do, and they love Jesus the same way as you do, and they're not the ones, you know, marching and drag at the gay pride parade. They're your friendly next-door neighbor. Uh, what's happened in your own heart as, as you dug deeper into the issues and gotten to know some of the people? How has that affected your, your outlook? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you're you're trying to, I love the way that you've put it, and I've repeated it several times, Dr. Brown, you know, just to reach out and resist. Yeah. You know, the, to the individual in front of you, you want to reach out in love and compassion, you want to hear them out, you want to you understand where they've come from, the things that they've experienced, you know, even the, the traumatic event, events and potential abuse that they might have experienced as a child or even as an adult, and and you want to you hear those things out and be able to, to reach to reach to them with, with love and compassion, you know, and then the resisting the ideology and the movement and the, the overall normalization of all these things in the society, because at the end of the day, you know, that is loving your neighbor too, yep. is being able to, to, uh, to make a stand on some of these things. So like it, it's in terms of my own, um, you know, heart, it, there's just, there's a, there's a, there is a broken heartedness, you know, and, and I want to be compassionate. I don't, I, I always want to be honest, even when I'm dealing with people that I, I severely disagree with, you know, even when I'm quoting someone like Matthew Vines or somebody who, who just, you know, makes ramshot over the scriptures and, and is just, you know, really abusing what the scripture says, you know, I still want to be honest to what he says when I treat his work in the book, uh, because I, I feel like as Christians, we do need to be able to understand what someone is actually saying instead of just rushing to give the answer, you know, to, to listen to what it says so that you can give an appropriate answer. Because it, it, it is real easy to just have canned, quick responses. But so 
sometimes you've got to listen through to what isn't being said directly and try and understand and discern what what may be going on there spiritually especially in the in the one-on-one situations obviously where you're trying to to minister to somebody and hopefully speak a word for christ in that situation you know i i remember sitting with a colleague of mine with a gay couple in in the city of charlotte and we had agreed they had had protested in front of our church one day and then apologized and called my show the next day to apologize and said we were met with perfect love you didn't deserve this i said well we live in the same city you're not changing your views. I'm not changing my views. How can we be neighbors in the midst of this? So we agreed to go and have dinner. And their position was, isn't it better that we're in the church? I mean, is, isn't it better that as, as couples, we're coming to church and reading the Bible and, and praying? Is, isn't that better than us, us being pushed out? So there, there's a very human, compassionate, caring argument. But of course, the better is that you come into right alignment with God. Uh, MD, we've got a break. If you'd stay on the other side of the break, that'd be great. But when I come back, I want to ask you, what seems to be the greatest appeal? Because the Bible just seems so clear. And the only relationships ever sanctioned by God in the Bible are male-female relationships. Every, everything from Adam and Eve to the end of the Bible, it's, it's just male and female coming together. What is the appeal? What is the power of, quote, gay Christianity? The book, Friends, M.D. Perkins' Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. I'm speaking with M.D. Perkins, film producer, author with American Family Association and American Family Studios. The movie, the documentary that, that I had the privilege of working on with M.D. and the team from... American Family Studios, In His Image. You can just go to YouTube and type his In His Image or In His Image, the movie. It's free to watch there. Or go to inhisimage.movie. I, I've been invited to speak at churches after they've watched the movie. They've had hundreds of people come and watch and be impacted by it. There's, there's additional supplemental information that, that you can get with it. So inhisimage.movie. Uh, make sure you go there. If you haven't seen it, it, it's really powerful. I recommend it all, all the time. MD, before we get back to your book and the question I asked you, what kind of testimonies have you received in response to the movie? Oh, I mean, there's, there's so many people who've been helped and impacted by it, like you mentioned. I mean, there's, we, we get calls from parents who uh, are just encouraged that there is hope you know, as they continue to pray and seek to find ways to minister and love their children and speak truth to them. There's testimonies of people who who are transgender or, are, or do call themselves gay who realize that they that's not what God has for them, and, and so they're wanting to repent and, and find ways to, uh, to, to live a, a righteous life. And, um, 
you know, so we've just, we've heard so many testimonies from people all over the world, really. I mean, once you put it on YouTube, you know, as we decided to do, it, it is available and in his image movie, but we also wanted it for free on YouTube just to be kind of a constant resource for people always looking for LGBT related content online. So, you know, once you put it out there, I mean, it, it, it goes all over. And so we've heard from all kinds of people in all kinds of places. You know, I was doing a Zoom call for, I don't know, maybe 40 pastors in one particular region. They asked me to come on and talk about the cultural issues. And one pastor uh, during the Q&A time said, I want you to know that in our Christian school, the middle school, the kids shifted. Their views shifted, and they embraced all the transgender talking points. So we sat them down, and they watched in his image, and afterwards they shifted back to truth. Just seeing that, and of course the powerful testimonies, that, that's what, what stirs everyone so much. A- anyway, yeah. back to the subject of your book, Dangerous Affirmation. What, yeah. what is the appeal of, quote, gay Christianity? Not so much to someone who says, well, I, I'm, God is fine with my relationship. He made me this way, and he, he wants to be in a relationship with this person. But folks that don't identify as gay or lesbian themselves, what, what's the, the appeal why do so many think, you know, we, we should embrace this? Yeah, I mean, in one sense, you know, you might think, well, you're, you're laying out a theology book, but, you know, we're just talking about people. And really, like, that's the appeal that always happens is this idea, the, the emotional arguments, the, the being stirred by the relationship or the, the person who's right in front of you. And obviously, like you said, and like I, I've mentioned, you know, we want to, to love that person and hear them out. But at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's always the the temptation and the draw is to to be brought in and to take someone's personal experience and to hold that as superior to the scripture and if god has revealed himself in his word and his word is true then his word is also good for all people and so yes. we uh, that's that's the thing but satan desires to uh, to dismantle that and to to remove that and to keep people locked in bondage so the appeal is always to this this emotional uh, feeling or just you know honestly dr brown is also just the discomfort of being at odds with society so when people you know are tempted to adjust their positions it's not always necessarily because they ran across an argument uh, you know, about gay Christianity. You know, that kind of justification comes later. But the first thing that really happened was just like, I, I don't like being at odds. I don't like feeling uncomfortable. I don't like being marginalized as holding this, you know, kind of backwards, antiquated view. And so then they start to look for reasons to uh, to find, oh, well, I can still hold to the Bible and be a Christian or, or you know, affirm gay relationships or whatever, I can still hold to the Bible and do that, then, uh, then that's what I'm going to do, you know. And so then they latch on to, to all of these arguments that are out there. So I'm just trying to present a case so that Christians are aware of the arguments and also able to realize that when we speak truth, that, that does have a power. There is an importance in doing that and to not lose, to not lose hope as you are, you're trying to minister because we need to be rooted in something more than just personal feelings and experience and our emotions. We need to be rooted in, in the Word of God. Yeah, so, so well said, and it's the Word that brings us back to reality and then gives us God's heart of transforming love. Jesus did not practice affirmational inclusion. He did not yeah. meet people where they are and affirm them where they are. He met them where they were and changed them. It was transformational inclusion. And, and look, we both know people that have struggled with same-sex attraction, recognize it's sinful and wrong in God's sight, and say no to that and follow Jesus. Some have been 
totally changed. They're in heterosexual relations. Others have simply said no to the flesh, and they are working with the Lord to see change. So we're not saying to follow Jesus, you have to be free of temptation, free of struggle. But to follow yeah. Jesus, you have to deny self and take up the cross and follow him. That's the gospel. I mean, it's that foundational. So for, for folks reading your book, how is this going to equip them, help them, and, and who should read the book? Well, I, I did write the book to help Christians think biblically about this topic. So, I, you know, I wrote it specifically with a Christian audience in mind, people who, who have grown up in church or spent time in church or are currently, you know, attending church, so that they can begin to to realize that there are ways in which your church may have been impacted by certain aspects of this. So just so that you can be discerning, so that you can be aware, and so that you can be able to speak into certain situations and help help guard against uh, the influence of this, because it is it, it is a threat to, to all aspects of society, and, and people are being swept up in the, in the whole kind of chaos, you know, <laughs> culturally around this. And so um, so I did write it for Christians, and, uh, and I, I should just say real quick, you can get it at DangerousAffirmation.net. It's not currently available on Amazon. This is exclusively where you can get it at DangerousAffirmation.net. But I did, I did write it, you know, for a Christian audience. God, yeah, and in fact, I, I meant to, I should have said that at the beginning, dangerousaffirmation.net. I went looking for it on Amazon last night myself and, and yeah. thought, okay, where is so, and we'll see if it gets on Amazon, right? But dangerousaffirmation.net. Friends, you'll find it well thought out, systematically laid out, written with truth and compassion. Very, very helpful. Get a copy for your pastor. You've got someone in your own family, a loved one, with questions or struggling or wrestling with the theology. You'll find the book really helpful, Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity by M.D. Perkins. Hey, look forward to seeing you again in person one of these days, man. God bless you. Yes, sir. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Sure thing. All right. My joy to talk with M.D. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie In His Image, boy, I, I want to tell you again, it, it's, it's like an hour, 45 minutes, and it's free. I, I hosted the documentary, so just worked so closely with their team. I mean, they did the massive amount of work, and I, I got to participate in, in key ways. Uh, it won a year or two ago the national, maybe it was last year, National Association of Evangelicals. It won, or National Evangelical Association, it won the Evangelistic Movie of the Year, Evangelistic Christian Movie of the Year, yeah. So what a blessing to be part of that. Hey, I, I just want to present an opportunity to you. It was in 2004, we're going on 20 years now, right? So 18 years ago now, that God laid on my heart that I needed to help push back against the rising tide of gay activism. And as I prayed, as I looked at this, I understood we're not just dealing with issues, we're dealing with people. It was in early 2005, January of 2005, at a prayer meeting with colleagues in Washington, D.C., standing in front of the Supreme Court, my friend Lou Engel, with life tape on our mouth. I remember the absolute freezing cold. So red tape with the word life written on it, silent prayer in front of the Supreme Court for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Just meditating and praying, you can't talk, right? That I heard these words rise up. It kind of brought together everything that had been stirring in my heart for the months prior to that. Reach out and resist. MD quoted it today. Reach out and resist. Reach out to the people with compassion, resist the agenda with courage. I understood 
to reach people who identified as LGBT. T was there, but not as major at that time. To reach out really required compassion because so many have been hurt by the church, been hurt by families, been hurt through rejection and fractured relationships and caricaturing and all kinds of things. So I may think I'm reaching out gently, but it feels very heavy-handed to them because they've suffered a lot of rejection. I understood it would take compassion in reaching out. I also understood it would take courage to stand against the agenda because the moment you do, you'll get vilified, attacked, accused of everything under the sun. You'll lose support, you'll lose backing. But I knew it was a divine calling. You can't stand with us on the front lines. God's called me to be the tip of the battering ram. He's made me for that. He's made my head like the tip of the battering ram. He, he's called me to be kind of the, the dartboard for everyone to throw their darts at and to absorb the venom and the hatred and to reply with love and truth. He's called me to do that and to equip the body. You can be part of our team. You can be part of our support base and you can share in the eternal reward. And even in this world and all the testimonies of lives dramatically changed, you can be part of it. Go to my website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Click on Donate Monthly Support and become one of our torchbearers, our monthly supporters helping us with a dollar a day or more per month. As you do, we pour back into you in many, many ways. We, we pour all kinds of things into you, new resources, access to other resources, uh, inside prayer letter, new audio message every, every month. We pour back in everywhere we can. $300 off our annual Israel trip. So join our team. Take this opportunity to stand on the front lines with me. Together, we're making a difference. Ask drbrown.org. Click on Donate Monthly Support. Welcome aboard. Another program powered by the Truth Network.